Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. All right, I'm going to read to you, and I apologize that we don't have our screens up, but the one person that had the computer with all the words on it got snowed in and couldn't get out of their driveway, and so that's the only reason we don't have words up this morning. Um, but I'm just going to read to you from Scripture, if that's okay. And I know you all brought your Bibles or you're uh, texting somebody on your phone, pretending like you're looking at your Bible. That's okay, too. That's allowed here. But I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter, I thought 16. Why did I flip over? Yes, Acts chapter 16. And then we're going to flip over to, ha, huh, flip over to Philippians after that. Philippians chapter 4. Acts chapter 16. We're going to talk about anxiety. You know, all of us deal with different levels of anxiety. You can call it fear. You can call it anxiety. You can call it stress. You can call it worry. It's all the same thing, the same root. Um, But all of us deal with that at varying stages. You're always going to have stress. In fact, stress is required for you to gain strength. Like you can't get stronger unless you put stress into something. So it's stress and then recovery, and then you become stronger. Whether you're an athlete If you're lifting weights, lifting weights is stress. It's not a bad stress, it's just stress. And the only way to get stronger is to apply stress and then apply recovery and then add more stress on top of it. So stress is a natural part of life, okay? It's a required part of life in order for us to actually accomplish something. If your body is not adding stress and recovering, it is diminishing. It is getting weaker, it is getting slower. And so don't pray for no stress but you can eliminate bad stress in your life. But sometimes stress creates anxiety. It creates fear. It creates worry. Now, stress can actually be something the Lord has brought into your life for the purpose of getting you stronger because the thing that he once changed in the world requires energy. It requires strength. And so the stress is the the factor that's being applied to you so that you can make the change that God wants to see in the world and let his strength be outworked through you. But the enemy, as he does, wants to hijack the plan of God and just throw a monkey wrench in the system and out of the stress that God is providing for you for your own strengthening, he'll try to create fear. He'll try to create anxiety, which instead makes you sick and makes you weak. But God's given us a great recipe and plan for how to keep stress from becoming anxiety, fear, and worry. How many of you think that would be a pretty good thing to live with? Imagine being able to live your life free of fear, free of worry. It doesn't mean you're insane. It doesn't mean that you're a science denier. It doesn't mean that you are in a cult. It means that you have followed God's plan for making sure that good, healthy stress that brings strength doesn't turn in to fear and worry and anxiety. Okay? And so I want to share with you this morning, actually Paul's instructions to the church in a place called Philippi, but I want you to give the I want you to understand the background for this letter. So Acts chapter 16, and we'll start in verse 16. This is in the city of Philippi. It's a Roman colony that Paul's like, hey, Silas, let's go to Philippi. We have no idea what's there, 
But we know that we have this gospel of Jesus Christ in us, the good news that Jesus died to save the world. And through faith in him, you can be saved and become adopted into his family. Let's go to this place called Philippi. It's an influential city. It's a Roman colony. And let's just find out who we can tell about Jesus. So he just shows up down at this river thinking this might be a good place to meet people. And next thing you know, a couple of women that gather at the, at the river, they, they receive the message of the gospel, and they get saved, and they become a part of essentially this brand-new growing church. Things are going well. This is Church Planning 101. Just go to a city, tell people about Jesus, win a few, come back, gather them again together. This is great. This is how this is going to work. It's kind of like what we're doing in Turkey right now. Things are going well. But then we pick it up in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is after a couple have been added to the church, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Just a little side note here. The things that this demon was saying to this girl weren't wrong, but yet they were a distraction to the real ministry that was actually happening. Sometimes what you hear might sound right, but is of the wrong spirit. You hear me? So when you're looking to follow good teaching, it not only has to be the right words, but it's got to come from the same spirit. That's just a side note. It has nothing to do with my message. That's a bonus. You'll get that later. All right. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Was this correct? Was this a true accusation? No. Why did they make the accusation against Paul and Silas? Because they were losing money. This was a false accusation. <laughs> See if this sounds familiar right now. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. What? There's an accusation? Let's join in that attack. We're bored and have nothing else to do. We've been locked in our homes for two years, so let's join the attack on someone else. And that's exactly what happened. And the magistrates ordered the... Sorry, did I make it? Here we go. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their, seat in, their feet in the stocks. Number one, don't ever underestimate the power of a crowd to convince local authorities to do something that was unlawful just to placate the masses that are in an uproar over two godly men who were preaching the gospel and the false accusation of a crowd because the government was more afraid of what the crowd would do than they were of being wrong. Don't ever underestimate the lengths that a government will go to to placate the masses. 
Why am I saying that? Because I'm anti-government? Absolutely not. It's because the government is not the hope of the world. Jesus is. We may have a new governor. We may have a new president. We have a, may new, have a new senate. By the way, it happens every four years. Don't know if you realize that. But they're not the hope of the world. So don't put your hope and your faith in the government or its electors. Our hope and faith is in Jesus. Revival is not going to come because of our government. It's going to come because of us and what God is doing here, and that will influence what's happening in government. Amen? <sighs> Too many side notes. Okay. About midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their current situation and living in fear of anxiety of the crowds and the governmental authorities, wondering if they're going to die, and they're just yelling at each other. No! About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Listen, if I ordered pizza in the middle of a snowstorm and the roads were covered with ice, and that 16-year-old kid delivering my pizza is more than 30 minutes late, I'm complaining already. And this guy, these two, being beaten, flogged, put into prison, falsely accused, their response is to sing hymns and pray. Lord, I pray someday I get there. But that's an odd response to their situation, isn't it? But suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas. The whole jail shook, and every chain came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought him out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Whew, the abuser becomes the healer. He went from suicidal to filled with joy immediately. Now, if Paul and Silas were just trying to figure out how to get out of jail, then trust me, when their stuff broke open, they would have gone. But in their praising and their worshiping and their praying, the only expectation I would have for why they didn't run out is because maybe we weren't just praying for their own freedom. Maybe they realize that the deeper and the darker the dungeon you put me in, the more I actually get to break free when God fulfills his purposes through me rather than me fighting against the accusation. Rather than me being concerned what everybody else thinks of me, maybe I can understand that this whole thing that the enemy intended for evil, God has another purpose in this. And if I can see him in my dungeon, in my false accusation, in the beatings that I've just received, the flogging that I've received, that he will 
will respond when I respond appropriately. God's response that he's looking from me is not just for my own freedom. He's looking for a heart that understands, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Though I'm in the middle of a pit, God loves me, God has a plan, and I will be a tool to see revival happen in this city. I would not be in Philippi if God had not put me here to see a revival come about. So the only response that I can have to my current situation to bring about the result that God has planned is for me to worship and is for me to pray. But boy, does that go against everything that our brain wants to do. It's not a natural response. Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe our response shouldn't be natural, but should be supernatural. I love this part. Verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. I love this. There's a little side of Paul here that you've got to realize. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us in prison. Uh-oh. I don't know if you know this, but Roman, okay, if you're not a Roman citizen, Romans can beat you anytime they want. They can do it. They're the oppressor. They're the, the occupying force. They don't need a jury. They don't need a trial. They don't even need a reason. They can beat you, but you cannot beat a Roman citizen without a trial. And to do so is a big, big no-no. They didn't realize that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and they beat them without a trial. Now they're in the hot seat. When they, mm, get off the government thing. Get off it, get off it, get off it. Okay. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? Nope. Let them come themselves and escort us out. I love this. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison. They threw them in jail, and now they're showing up going, we're so, so sorry. May we escort you out of the I just think it's hilarious that like literally this was in the course of one night all of this happened oh. after Paul and Silas came out of the prison they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters they encountered and encouraged them then they left man you, you know the one-uppers at a party like you're trying to tell a story and someone's like Pfft. let me tell I mean you can't one-up Paul and Silas I mean that's just like they're showing up to Lydia's house, and they're like, you guys are never going to believe what just happened. They learned a lesson. They learned a lesson about an appropriate response to a time that should bring fear and anxiety and worry. And he showed them what that response would be. Now, flip with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. That church later became much more established than what it was. And when we read the book of Philippians, this is Paul's letter to the church that he started with Lydia down on that river. 
the one that he went back to and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. This is years later, him writing to this church in Philippians, in, in Philippi, and here are some things he's reminding them of. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, did you grow up with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then this song would sing it, and then you would start singing it. And you, rejoice, rejoice. And I, was that singing in the round? We need to do that more. And it sounds like this happy song. I used to love it. Rejoice in the Lord I want you to understand the circumstances of Paul's writing. It's not just him saying, just rejoice. God's good. We live in a good time. This is beautiful. Paul's thinking back to midnight, locked in the stocks, beaten, no hope in the world. And he's telling this church, hey, rejoice. <laughs> no, 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 no. Rejoice in the Lord always. When he says something again, it's worth paying attention to. Paul doesn't repeat himself very often. Rejoice. I know. Listen, Philippi, you're experiencing persecution from Rome right now. You want to lash out. You want to run. You want to hide. You want to go underground. I'm telling you, rejoice. You got no idea what happens when you make the decision to rejoice. I'm telling you, do it again. Rejoice and then do it again. Did you not remember the jail that broke in half the moment we made a decision to praise him instead of cursing our accusers? Do you not remember that when we busted our chains open, there was one person who was still living with chains that they couldn't see, the jailer. And because we didn't just run away, we not only saved his life, we saved his whole family. You and your household will be saved. Telling you, I'm telling you, Rejoice, rejoice. It has the power to break prisons, prisons free. It has the power to break people from the chains that are keeping them in fear and anxious. In other words, when the world tells you, you better be afraid, you better not trust anybody, don't go near anybody else, this is a time of anxiety, a time of worry, a time of fear, and we're thinking, look, I just myself, I'm going to live in my faith bubble, I'm not going to fear, and no one else is going to cause me to fear. Can you understand that God wants so much more? Because when you praise, rejoice in the Lord always, your freedom will break out for everyone around you. It means that other people will see they don't have any chains. Why am I wearing chains? Why am I living in fear? Your choice to rejoice Him in the midst of your challenge, in the midst of this world that we live in, will not only break you free, it will break free anybody that is in your vicinity. That means your family that has renounced you and thinks you're crazy, they can get free of their change too when you choose to rejoice. When you don't let the pain of rejection cause your voice to silence. When you stop praying because all you can think about is, will things ever be the same? They're not going to be the same. Thank God. Because you can't hide. You can't fake it anymore. But our choice to rejoice and our choice to pray is more than just about our own freedom. It will break out freedom for everyone around us. Rejoice in the Lord 
always, I'll say it again, rejoice. In verse 5, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness. Did you not read the last thing that the so-and-so put out? Did you not hear the comment they made about me on Facebook? I got this one, Lord. I'll take care of this. I got it, you know. Let your gentleness be evident. Can I tell you that nothing speaks more in a time of crisis than gentleness? Dave Schultz taught me this years ago, and I have never forgot it. We did a leadership seminar together, and I said, Dave, hey, you've had, you know, quite a bit of experience in combat and, and military leadership. Would you help me teach on teamwork, what, what it means to lead on a team? And he said this one comment that never left me. He said, nothing leads like a calm spirit. And I went, wait, what? Nothing leads like a calm spirit. He goes, you have those kind of leaders that are all, come on, let's go. And, and, and there's a side of operators that just go, um, who are you trying to convince? Like if you're too far and it's all about your own energy and your own passion, then sometimes it's a reflection of insecurity because you're trying to overcompensate for your own insecurity. He goes, but the best leaders that I ever served under, they acted like they had been there before. And they had a calm spirit. And it gave everybody else the confidence to remember, hey, we're trained for this. We're ready to go. And although it's a stressful situation we're going into, we can bring our calm into that situation. And we can be as hard as nails. We can be monsters. But it's controlled aggression because there's a calm spirit. Does that make sense? Nothing leads like a calm spirit. For the Christian, that means let your gentleness be evident to all. Do, do not be anxious about anything. That's the goal, okay? That's what we're trying to get to is how to not be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you want to get to that point where the peace of God transcends all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus? Well, that doesn't come because we prayed and asked God to give us peace. Just you saying, God, give me your peace, give me your peace, give me your peace, and waiting for this peace to descend on you, that's not actually Paul's instructions. Paul gives us some very specific things that we can do so that the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but that means there's another option to anxiety. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I'm not a formula guy. I don't want to give you the 10 points to live a prosperous life. That's just not kind of how I operate and think because God is relational. God didn't give us his word in the form of bullet points. He gave us his word in the form of Jesus, and it's relational. But I think here is one. Maybe it's not a formula, but it certainly is 
an insight into how we can respond to anxiety like Paul and Silas did that will reap the outcome we want. And the outcome we want is not anxiety, but it's peace. It's the calm spirit that can lead us through not only gaining our own freedom, but freedom for those around us. Okay? And it is prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. So if you've got your phone or a piece of paper, as we kind of wrap this up, I want you to write down in your phone, maybe create a note or a piece of paper, or just pretend like you have a really good memory and you're going to remember it. I want you to write one thing down that's creating anxiety for you right now. What's one thing now that's causing anxiety for you? Just one. Just one. By the way, if I say it's creating anxiety, it doesn't mean I'm not calling you an anxious person. All of us have something that creates or has the potential to create fear, worry, doubt, and anxiety. Write one thing down. Because first of all, I think we have to learn to identify the source of the anxiety. Here's what I mean by that. I found for me, often the surface thing is not actually the thing. <laughs> There's moments when I have been less than gracious with Romy, my wife. Maybe I've been a little too quick to, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Too aggressive, too, like I'm, I'm snapping at her. And she'll look at me and she'll go, Hey, what's going on? And my first reaction is, what's going on is you. And the Holy Spirit's like, no. She's like, no, really, is, did something happen? And I've learned over the years to go, well, gosh, let me think about that. And then sometimes I don't even know what it is that's creating the thing in me that's causing me to lash out. But you know who does know? God knows. So I could say, God, would you help me to locate the thing that's actually creating this anxiety? And when I've done that, sometimes God's going, do you remember that thing at work that happened three days ago? That thing, that person, that interaction that you had, that's still weighing on you. You're just taking it out on her. Now, sometimes that happens, and you don't even realize that's what it is. So first identify the source of your anxiety, and if you're not sure about it, Ask God. You know what? Ask him anyway. Because sometimes you can be sure it's one thing, but if you're not asking the Lord, you may be missing the actual source, and you're dealing with the uh, surface issue and not the deeper issue that's creating the surface thing. Does that make sense? So ask him. Let him speak to you about what that is, and then write it down. What's on the surface is not always the issue. Now here's number two. Paul says, everything by prayer and petition. What the petition means, it means a specific request. I want you to write down, what is it that you want God to do? So that thing that's creating anxiety, I want you to write down now, what is it that you want God to do about that? And be specific. I've done this with people sometimes, and they go, I just want the Lord to show me and love people. And 
Like, be specific. You actually got to know what it is that you need God to do. This, this may come as a surprise, but there's things that only God can do. But if I think everything comes down to me, I'll put undue pressure on myself thinking I've got to fix the issue. Find out what it is that only God can do and find out what it is that you can do. Because God's a whole lot better at being God than I am. I can't heal somebody of cancer, right? But God can. So I'll put that in the God basket, and I'll put prayer in my basket. I pray, God heals, right? But if I try to put myself in the position of healer, I'm going to be frustrated. So what is it specifically you want God to do about that situation? You guys got it? Number three. I want you to list three things that you are thankful for concerning that situation. Three things you are thankful for concerning that situation. I'll tell you mine. It's not a deep one. But I've got a race coming up in March, a running race, and I'm not sure that I can do it, and it's actually creating anxiety for me. I know it's super ridiculous, superficial. There's deeper things. I'm just dealing with my... That's another issue, too. Sometimes it's not always the deep things. It's the little things. So if you can knock off the little things, and the deeper things can come up. But I've got this race that I'm supposed to do, and I don't know if I can do it because I, I was sick for a while, and so I'm off my training plan. And it shouldn't create anxiety for me because it's a stupid race. It's the least important thing I do. But yet it's creating this thing for me. And so I identify that source of I don't know that I can do what I need to do to complete this race. So what is it I want God to do? Well, I specifically want God to keep me healthy and help me stick to my training plan so that I can actually do the race that I want to do. I specifically want him to keep my body healthy and to help me stick to the plan, okay? What are three things I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that I'm healthy. So I'm asking God to keep me healthy, but I'm also thankful that I currently am. I'm thankful that I have um, the ability to run. I can actually, I, I can run. My legs work, right? And the other thing I'm thankful for is that I have a wife that I'm not driving crazy with this currently in my training plan, um, but I'm just thankful for her. And, and so understand that when you're bringing your requests to God, the Bible says for us to do it with thanksgiving. I've noticed that my requests of God need to be very specific. He wants me to be specific. And I think sometimes we lack specificity because we feel bad for even asking. I know people, I went and shoveled a couple of driveways yesterday for some older people in my mom and dad's neighborhood. They felt terrible that I did that. I'm like, were you going to do it? Like, don't feel, you should have asked. Don't feel terrible for asking, but we approach God that way, as if God didn't want to already do this thing for us. I hate to ask. I'm such an imposition. It's such a bother. Would you just kind of make everything 
nice or maybe not as bad. Be specific. God, I want my daughter healed of diabetes. I want her healed, healed and whole, sickness never to return again. That is specifically what I want. I'm not going, Lord, I pray that she feels better about her condition and situation. No, heal her in Jesus' name. Be specific. Okay? That's why you're healed, because you were specific. I want this gone and never returning again. So when it tries to return again, you're like, nope, God, same thing. Specifically, all gone, never to return. Stand in that thing. When it comes to the thankfulness, be just as specific. So not just, Lord, I have this thankfulness. I'm with a thankful heart. Yeah, that's good, but be specific. What is it specifically you're thankful for? Does that help? And then verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. This isn't a distraction to the negative. It means once I have located the source of my anxiety, and once I have specifically asked God what I want Him to do for my situation, and when I have specifically thanked Him for things concerning this situation, then I can begin to think about what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, and I can think on those things. But you got to go through the process first. And he promises that the peace which surpasses all understanding. You know that kind of peace where like, what is up with you? Why are you not going insane? Why are you not losing your mind? Why have you not committed suicide yet? Why have you not jumped off a bridge? Why are you not depressed like everybody else is? It just passes understanding. I'm sorry. Do I have anxiety like you? Yes, I do. Does it come on me? Yes, I do. But I know what to do with it when it does. I don't think you understand. I've been in the prison. I've had my feet in the stocks, spiritually, emotionally. I've been banned from Facebook more times than I can count. But I've known how in the midst to sing hymns and to pray and to be specific about what I want God to do. And he does it. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning. I thank you that there is an outlet for the enemy's attack on us. There is an answer for our current situation in this world. And the answer is your peace. It is your peace which surpasses understanding. I pray that we, Lord, would be merchants of peace. That people would come to us looking to buy what we have. And as merchants of peace, we get to share that good news of this costs you nothing that you have that you can give. But if you surrender your heart to Jesus like I have, and if you trust him with your whole life, he will give you his peace. Not as the world gives. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. So as much as we stand against anxiety in the name of Jesus, Lord, if we cast one spirit out, but we're not filled again with your Holy Spirit, and if we don't learn how to deal with this again, it's going to keep coming back. And we're going to begin to doubt your word in our lives. But your word is true. Your word is true. Thank you that you have given us the tools to deliver ourselves in your name from the attacks of the enemy that would rob the peace that you've given us. And Lord, we speak your peace into your people. I speak peace concerning the future. 
God, I speak peace concerning will I be married? Will I ever have kids? Is this business going to work or is it going to fail just like the others did? I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Lord, you are near. You are near. And we trust you and we believe you for our present and for our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.